a go. Give it to us. We'll give it a go. Okay. Um, we're just going to start by reviewing what we did last week. So if you have that handout in front of you, um, really, yeah, just I'd ask you to just, um, we'll go over our review. We've got our three pictures there that we looked at last week. And, um, and we'll just um, read those points and I'll just make a few comments as we go. So we last week we looked at our purpose. So if you look at um, our purpose and the three uh, diagrams there, we're just going to read through that part of the sheet. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dad. Um, and so, last week we looked at our purpose. So we'll read that first point and then we'll just um, revise what that was in our head. So you see that image on the left with the crown and the arrows? So the first, the first point is this. According to the Bible, read along with me. According to the Bible, we are made in the image of God and are made to rule with God and humans trusting God in is crucial in this arrangement. So, um, First thing in the Bible is we were made to rule. We were made to exercise dominion and rule this world with God. And when you look at the species of the planet, it is so clear that humans have this. Humans are the only ones that can organize into societies. We're the only one that has given that creative spark. I mean, yes, there are other intelligent animals, but when those animals build a dwelling, they build it the same way every time. They, they're, they're still creatures of instinct, whereas humans are the only creatures on Earth that have the power to destroy the planet, that have the power to cultivate and care for the planet, that have the power to destroy the um, climate. Like, we, we have been given dominion. And, um, and, but that's, this is where the image of God part becomes so crucial. Because we're not made to just rule however we want. We're meant to rule in the image of God. In other words, we are an image of his character in the world. So when we rule the world, we're meant to image his justice into the world. We're meant to image his kindness into the world. We're meant to image his care for nature into the world. Um, and humans, that only works if humans trust. So if you look at the diagram, it's very much God is God and, and he rules through us. If you look at those arrows, that represents his character, his ways going out into the world. And, if you, and so if you read the next point with me, in the ideal order of things, God judges what is good, humans trust him, and we enjoy love, peace, and prosperity as a result. The first time God describes himself in the Bible, he says, I'm abounding in faithful love. Jesus says the humans, the whole law is about people loving God and loving others. And so basically, if, if, if we're in the ideal of order of things, then we rule, we image God's character into the world, and we love God and he loves us and we love each other. And that's just the way our purpose was meant to go. But we know that's not what happened. Because this, and, and we're given a narrative in the Bible to represent what happened. So Adam and Eve, there's this tree, and if you remember, the tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and God said, you can do whatever you want, but you can't eat from that tree. And the, and the symbolic thing going on there is to eat from that tree is to say, we are the ones who decide good and evil, not you. That's what it means. It wasn't about, oh, it's a very delicious looking fruit. What makes it delicious symbolically is that to take from that tree is to say we are the ones who decide good and evil, not God. And so when, when, and so when the serpent tempted Eve, it was this sense of did God really say and God hold, God, and basically the idea that was put into Eve's mind was God is holding something back. In this arrangement where you just simply image God into the world, God is holding something back. So if you read um, the next that point, so we've got the second picture there. 
Um, can you read that first line with me? In the distorted order of things, we stop trusting God and decide what is good in our own eyes, which leads to shame, conflict and chaos. If in the Adam and Eve narrative, as soon as they chose to be their own gods, it says something weird. It says they noticed that they were naked. But when everyone is their own God, everyone judges each other. All right? And when and basically, and when we're no longer just loving God and loving each other, there's now room for mistrust. So Adam and Eve mistrust each other and blame each other as well. And now all of a sudden, we're hiding from God and hiding from each other. And so if you read the next two lines with me, because it speaks to the diagram next to it, the heart attitude that places ourselves over God is called sin. And because of sin, we cannot get back to our purpose. And the next line is, because of sin, we are separated from God and under his judgment and separation from God is ultimately eternal death. In other words, humans have not been able to overcome putting ourselves in the place of God and deciding good and evil for ourselves. We have never been able to overcome this and it has left us eternally separated from God. And we finished that week. We didn't give you any hope at the end of that week in terms of a solution. But the last two points are really key because God, read them with me, God has made a way for us to return to our purpose with us submitting to him as king and enjoying relationship with him. But the next question is crucial. But do we receive the truth that God is the king in our hearts Are we even interested in laying our crown down? Because that's the first truth you have to accept if you are to follow Jesus, that God is the king. Because this whole Jesus thing that we're about to talk about, it's inviting you into something. It's not just, God isn't just going to forgive you for forgiveness sake. He's forgiving you because the presumption is you want him to be the king again. You want to be under him again. You think life is better when he is the king and not us. And that is why we would receive anything from God. And so that that line there where it says God is the king and it's got reject, resist and receive. Basically, this whole journey doesn't work unless you receive the truth that you are not the king. Because that was that's the root of the problem. And so basically what Jesus will invite you into involves you laying down that crown and saying, okay, okay, I, I'm not the king. Things are better when God is the king and, and I'll receive any forgiveness God has to get there. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about our need of Jesus. So following along, the Old Testament points forward to a time, reading with me, the Old Testament points forward to a time when God will be with his people and save his people in a special way. So let's read Jeremiah 31, verses 33 to 34. It says this, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So it talks to this time where we're going to know God in such an intimate way and he's going to be in us in such a special way. But the last line is so, it's just so powerful. Just read that next sentence with me. Notice that the reason humans will be able to be in this special relationship with God is on the basis of God forgiving us. So the whole reason we will be in this special relationship with God is God will forgive us. 
And so that leads to a really interesting question. How will God forgive us? And that's when we're going to talk about Jesus. And um, Jesus is very important to us. He's super important. Um, and so we're going to explore different ways he's important. So um, if you read the next sentence with me, this leads us to Jesus. This is what Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says about Jesus after Mary gives birth to him. Matthew 1, 23, read it with me. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I've got a diagram there, and I just want to read the two points underneath it, which explains the diagram. It was human's rebellion that led to the distance between us and God. And God was the one who made the move to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ, God's Son. So Jesus gave up his divine privileges and made the move to be with us in the most accessible and clear way that one can think of as a human being. So you see that? So we see the problem on the left. We're at the bottom of the mountain. We can't get back to that space under God. And, the God, and God's solution is to come down and be with us. God's solution is to come down and be with us. And this is, this is everything when it comes to what it means to be a Christian. So um, we'll read, just read the next um, line with me. Let's, so let's cover the different aspects of what Jesus Christ coming to earth achieved. You can explore all these aspects of Jesus further by simply reading the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But we will use the acronym PAST, like presence, authority, submission, service, empathy, death and resurrection, to just go through the different elements of what Jesus being on earth um, achieved. So we've got presence there, and we've got the same verse from Matthew, so we won't read it again, and it talks about um, God with us, Emmanuel. And so read that first point at the bottom there. God was with us, and he showed us what he was like in an intimate, in, in, in a way that was intimate and accessible. So when you read the Bible, you're reading, you're getting to see and taste and smell what God was like. So when God responds to children in the Bible, you know that scene when children were trying to see um, Jesus and, and, the, and the adults were like, oh, get them away. And Jesus parts the adults and says, you let the kids come to me. That is God doing that. So in other words, you're seeing what God is like towards the heart of children. When God speaks truth to power, when Jesus speaks truth to power to the Pharisees, that, you, that, that abuse their power. That is what God is like. This is a human being that you can read about and see how he interacts with the world and see what he is like. Um, if you haven't seen The Chosen, great, great visual depiction of what Jesus was like. Gives you a great insight into the heart of God. Um, just download the app. We've got lots of people who vouch for the show. It's a good show. Um, so, yeah, when... when um, when Jesus came to be with us, that is God being with us in a way he has never been with us before. It is such an intimate expression. Uh, the next point is authority. If we read Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth, and on earth has been given to me. So through miracles, reading on, Jesus demonstrated that he had divine authority as God's special king. And he expressed authority over sickness through healing, over death through raising people from death, over nature through calming of the storm and other miracles, over spirits by commanding them what to do. And he also demonstrated that he had the authority to forgive sins, which was a very clear statement that he was God. And you guys know that great story in the Gospels where this crippled man comes to Jesus and he says, your sins are forgiven. And everyone goes, only God can do that. And he goes, yep, I know. And I'll show you that I can do that too because I'm going to heal him as well. 
So Jesus demonstrated that this was definitely God. And the point of these miracles, they're not just wow factor. They're to, they're to actually say, this is God on earth. This is him proving it, that he is God's special king. The next one is actually in this flow of this series, the most crucial one in terms of what we're emphasizing. So submission. And I've just got a verse. And before I say the verse, this is Jesus on the way to the cross not wanting to go on the cross, which is a fascinating depiction into the relationship between father and son. He would rather not do this. And he says, Father, read along with me, Luke 22, 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So in this moment here, if you read that point, Jesus demonstrated what it looks like to fully trust his father. He trusted in his plan even when that plan involved something he really did not want to do. He succeeded where we failed. Remember where things went wrong. Things went wrong when the serpent put in Eve's mind that God is holding something back from you. God can't really be trusted. Maybe if you were God and you decided good and evil for yourself, you would have all these things God is holding back from you. Here we have Jesus in a point where he's about to obey his father and go to the cross and even at that point he succeeds where we fail he succeeds where we fail he still trusts his father just before the cross he still thinks that the father has the right and wise plan that the father is the one who knows how to best image his character into the world even at the point of just before dying on the cross so he overcame, even at that point, what Adam and Eve failed in him. Adam and Eve failed to trust God, that God knew what he was doing, that they didn't need to reach for that fruit themselves. So, God, so Jesus, in submitting to the Father, succeeded where we failed. Jesus, in trusting the Father, succeeded where we failed. Right, and we've got the next one, service. Um, so that passage, the scripture there is, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the point is that Jesus spent a significant amount of his ministry serving others, despite being the one person who has a right to make people serve him. So the one person who has a right to make us all serve him didn't. He, what we know that he washed his disciples' feet. We know he served to the point of exhaustion. I love that depiction in The Chosen, if you watch the episode after a full day of healing, of Jesus exhausted and bleeding because he's just healed hundreds of people and he's just... And, and you know, Jesus, God God came down to earth and limited himself to, to actually serve us as a human and, and to see his exhaustion at the end of the day. It was such a beautiful depiction that I'd never processed that if Jesus was a human being like us and healed people all day, that he would be exhausted. And that so much so that a storm didn't wake him up on a boat, which is, you know, Jesus served us um, so wonderfully. And we've got um, our second last point, empathy. This is one of my favorite points about Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, and it's talking about Jesus as our high priest. It says, But we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And, when you, and so you read that next point with me, please. Jesus walked in our shoes. God has listened to humanity in an intimate way. It also means that he overcame the temptation of sin, trusting himself over his Father, facing the same things we face. It, Jesus, we know that he experienced loneliness. 
We know that his closest friends abandoned him. We know that he experienced physical suffering. We know that he was his family were asylum seekers. We know that Jesus' family knows what it's like to run from a tyrant who wants to kill you. And so they escaped to Egypt. So it's not like Jesus came to earth and said, yeah, see, I've walked in your shoes, but he did it in a way which was kind of aloof and high and mighty. When Jesus says he's walked in your shoes, any pain you experience, it's like God has listened to that pain, not just by seeing you go through it, but he has been in it. So, you know, when, and when people ask, you know, one of the great things atheists like to throw is, well, what's the, what about the problem of God and suffering? And, it's, and, you know, we don't actually have a cute answer for that. But one thing we can say is, but our God walked into our suffering and enters it with us. And he is with us and knows us. And so, yeah, we can't answer some of those big existential questions all the time. But what we can say is, but look at our God. He doesn't stand aloof from our suffering. He's right there with us in it and has gone through it before us. And in all that, even, even to the point of death, he still trusted his father. He overcame what we couldn't overcome. And the last one um, in, that, in that list is death and resurrection. And, um, and so you get what I mean when I say Jesus is sinless. You, you, like, I hope that has a deeper depth. He trusted the Father where we stopped trusting. He kept trusting. He kept doing his Father's will even when he didn't want to do it. That's the powerful thing about when Jesus prays, not my will but yours be done. Jesus is being as human as it gets. He's actually praying to God, I don't want to do this. And yet in that zone, he continues to trust. That is why Jesus is sinless. And I, and I hope we feel the power of that. So knowing that Jesus is sinless, let's read these two verses. Because knowing that he is sinless makes these verses make more sense. So Isaiah 53, 6 says this. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. So the Father has laid on the Lord the iniquity of us all. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says it more explicitly. God made him who had no sin. Who is the one who has no sin? Jesus. Yep. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so these points, guys, this is like climax time. Read them along with me. So Jesus has never put himself above the Father. He maintained his trust. He lived purely. And on the other hand, humans have failed to trust God and reflect his character into the world. And the result is a broken world full of people behaving as their own God. And furthermore, our rejection of God leaves us separated, one more, separated um, from eternal relationship with God we were designed for. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment for our rebellion so that through him we could be cleansed, forgiven, and back in an eternal relationship with our loving God. And there is no better demonstration, I think, I think, than the Christianity Explained demonstration of this. And um, Karina will testify that I've done this a billion times at camp. And, um, you know, it's, but it's just nothing. It's the clearest. My dad uses this one. It's just clear. It's just so clear that if you think of the sky as God and you think of this hand as us and you think of this tablet full of everything that Daniel Sellen has ever done wrong, 
and it's all here recorded and it, and it, and it creates this separation between us and God and, and we can't overcome that because the reason we can't overcome that is because even if I tried to rescue Daniel I've got my own stuff here it's a little see it's smaller but that's no, it's just my stuff um, and, and it's, um, but I've got my own stuff here and I'd like to help Daniel out but I can't and he well look we're both kind of stuffed here but then it's, it's Jesus is sinless He's the only one who looks like this. He has never betrayed his trust in the Father. He has done it to the point of death. And so when he dies for Daniel and me, he it's like this sense of which he can really have it all dumped on him. He can really make this the picture where he suffers. And because of what he suffers, we can have a great relationship with God. We can pray to him. We can, when, when people in our community um, go through hard times like Jeff we can pray to our God because he has made the way he has died for us so that we can come to him it is so hugely important that we see our need of Jesus and so if you look at that um, if you look at that illustration uh, um, and just read the points with me so this like kind of brings together the two weeks we've had so far so it says, point number one, we have learnt that we are separated from God because of our sin and we can't find our way back to the loving and trusting relationship with God we are designed for. And so God dealt with this by pursuing us. He came down to earth and he walked in our shoes and he died in our place. And he rose from the dead and the risen Jesus, having lovingly pursued us, gives us the option to embrace his forgiveness and turn back to him. And so to finish this week, the truth that all Christians must accept, they must accept this, it doesn't work, is that Jesus died and rose again for me. We must accept it. And, and so first of all, you must accept that God is the king because the forgiveness that Jesus is offering you is into that. He's not forgiving you so that you can completely ignore him as the king. He's forgiving you so that you can return. And so to live, to live with him as the king. So we must accept it. And so if I've got those three words in there for your discernment. In that statement, where do you sit? Do you reject that statement? Do you resist it? Or is it something that you receive? Because Christians receive it. Yes, oh yes, Jesus died for me. I absolutely need that. I absolutely want that. And I want to be back in relationship with God. And if I could give you the image, um, if I could just... Um, um, I'll get... Oh, jeez. Kyle, come up here for a sec. Thanks. He was just... Look, well, he wasn't looking keen. He was just looking this way. So, therefore, I just called out his name. Um, so, you know, if you stand there, you're, you, get to be, you get to be Jesus. Right? You're Jesus. And so, so, basically, at this point, at this point, really, we should get John. He's our, like, traditional Jesus lookalike, I suppose. But, you know. Um, and so, let's say, you know... Kyle's come down the mountain. You can see the mountain behind him, imaginary. And, and here's me, and, and I'm holding my sin. Now, even though my sin separates me from God, my sin is precious to me because it's mine. And it's my choice, and it's my way. And so I have spent, I have come down the mountain, and I'm facing away from Jesus. And, and Jesus has come, and every step I go this way, and that Kyle's doing it right on point. So every step I take this way, he's actually right there. He's pursuing. He's pursuing. And so the forgiveness of God is there, but I have to turn. I have to turn 
and let him forgive me. I have to turn because, but the cost is this. The cost is this and you'll get it. There's a, there's a cost in turning this way because while I'm facing this way, my life is mine. And that's what makes it hard for people to turn because we want the forgiveness without the sacrifice. The sacrifice is this, to turn is for me to own that my life is Jesus's. He is the king. And that's why I want to be forgiven. No, you can't have those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Didn't Carl do well. Didn't Carl do well. All right, thanks, Carl. Brilliant. And so um, I hope you've got a clear picture in your mind of those two truths. First thing in your heart, you must want him to be the king. And the second truth is you must receive that forgiveness and turn back. You must. And so, in the, and so next week we'll be looking at the third um, the third um, truth that all Christians must accept. And there's going to be a little response thing in the form of a survey monkey. And this is my prayer as well. So I know that some people invited people for this series and they came last week that they weren't here. If you're one of those people who invited one of those people, can you make sure that you just share this with them? Um, and I'll put a link to the handout as well. But if you're someone who would say, no, I am a Christian um, and you haven't yet been baptized, we're going to take this opportunity next week after we share the final truth that all Christians accept to just um, let us know through that survey if you'd like us to baptize you. Um, because those, those moments, as Baptists, we really value that moment where you own it publicly in front of family and friends. It's really important to us. Um, and so um, if you'd like to be baptized, um, but also if you know someone... That would just benefit from this series. Um, make sure they make it next week or you share um, with um, Pete's wonderful filming on YouTube. He's even adding lights now. It's getting getting pretty high tech up here as well. Um, so can I just um, um, pray? Pray for us as we wrestle with this and get um, John and Katie to lead us one more time in worship. Um, and then, um, yeah, after, after that, um, have a wonderful Mother's Day. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you so much that you have pursued us. We thank you that, that you overcame what we could not, that you kept trusting in the midst of, of adversity, of, of, of your own will, Jesus. Your own will as a human did not want to go on the cross, and yet you continue to trust the Father. Lord, and because of that, you are pure, and, we, and, and you can die for us, and you can bring us back to you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would accept that, that we would turn and embrace your forgiveness afresh this morning. I thank you, Lord, that even, even then when we go through the hardest of times, that we can know that we are forgiven, we can know that we are loved, and we can know that we, know that we are yours because of what you have done for us. And we, are, and we pray that you would fill us with this truth this morning. Amen. Amen. <laughs>